Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 56 of the Haskin Cast podcast, where I will be discussing season three, episode six, Stranger Things, Netflix original. Let's get into it because we have a lot of stuff to go over for this episode. Um, it was a, a really action packed, pretty crazy episode, and uh, I took a lot of notes, uh, probably twice as much as normal. So let's talk about a bunch of things. I'm going to start off with the thing that bugs me the most is uh okay so i found out that lucas's sister's name is erica i'm sure they've mentioned that at some point during the show i don't recall it but they probably did so i uh, i actually looked it up and uh, even it, it actually had to go to imdb instead of just searching for cast because she wasn't coming up at all and uh, she did on the imdb db page so i know that her name is erica and uh Glad to know that. I also, out of curiosity, because it was really bugging me how to pronounce uh, Karen's name, the actress who plays Karen. And uh, it's interesting. It's spelled B-U-O-N-O. And I had to go through 10 different interviews on YouTube to find somewhere where they actually addressed her because all of the interviews started after they would have said her name, introduced her or whatever. Um, So it was a, a little bit of work, but it is Kara Bono. Is how it's pronounced. So it's the the U is silent apparently, and uh, now I can actually talk about her because I know how to pronounce her name, and I don't have to be mean and rude to her by mispronouncing her name. But I'm not going to talk about her anyway because she wasn't really in this episode. Uh, just something that happened to pop into my head. Uh, but let's uh, let's start off with uh, one of the the bigger storylines right now, which is Steve, Dustin, Robin, and Erica. And the thing that bugs me, there's a couple things that really bug me about Erica in this episode because because she was on it, and uh, her character is just you know in the given the situation, I think her character is a little too much, uh, too headstrong for her age, not really realistic. I think she would be more terrified uh, at this point. But uh, for some reason, she's not. She's incredibly strong and uh, apparently fearless. But the uh, the helmet or hat thing that she's wearing has two flashlights taped to it, which have been on for quite some time at this point um, from the time in episode uh, four or was it five? I don't know where she started going into the air duct from the ice cream parlor. And uh, you know, how long do these batteries last? This is 1984. We didn't have any major uh you know power cells back then they, they lasted a few hours at best and i kind of feel like this uh this storyline with them has been going on for at least a few hours since she left the ice cream parlor through the vent um and and they're just like just as bright as they were in the beginning so i think that that's uh not really right although they're really sketchy on the time frame they really don't give you a true essence of how long these things are taking to happen um they just kind of keep going in in a in a sequence so uh maybe it isn't as long as i thought it's been and these black these uh flashlight batteries are are somehow amazing technology in 1984 i'll just go with that but i i did think it was worth mentioning that uh doesn't really seem like uh like like somebody should have said hey turn off and turn these off and save your batteries i mean even steve to dustin at one point had mentioned to him about the walkie-talkie saying hey save the batteries because you're gonna you're gonna kill it uh but apparently flashlights can live forever so that's uh, that's the first thing that kind of bugged me about her. And we'll get back to a little more of that later on. Um, but now here we have moments where even this group of four people gets uh, separated from each other. So a little bit more isolation, a little bit of character build. I don't know if they're trying to gain a little bit of empathy for Erica or so- show that she's somewhat human with the My Little Pony thing. But I- I'm just not buying it. I think that she's uh, 
she's she's really not uh, an accurate representation of what a seven or eight year old kid would be in a situation like this. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not really happy with that part of the storyline. But the action here is is absolutely fantastic. Um, thinking back to what things were like in 1984, of course, there was a big, uh, you know, big uh, fight between the Russians and, and America. They were very, very opposite sides, heavy enemies. And so, of course, that's probably why they picked Russia to be in the show of all the the different places. They could have picked German scientists. They could have picked anything. Uh, of course, if they would have picked German scientists, then I would have said that that was another diehard reference, whether it was or not. Um but, you know, they, they kind of make the Russians almost uh, Keystone Cop-like in this. The way that they're chasing the kids, um, the way that the guys in the, in the, you know, the body suits just get easily knocked over, um, the, the uh, you know, them trying to break through the door when, uh, when, when uh, you know, Steve and, and uh, what's her name, um, Steve and Robin are behind the door. Um, and not really bracing it very well, I might add. They're, they're pretty much leaning against it. They're not even putting force into it. Well, while these Russians are trying to bang their way through the door. So that was um, a little not really believable for me. And again, I know I'm being nitpicky, but that I see the things I see. Um, so that's that's when, uh, you know, Dustin and Erica get separated from them and uh, just kind of go hiding. And then the, the uh, part with Dustin where, you know, he goes into the My Little Pony thing and I like that he's like showing a little bit of vulnerability and saying, hey, I'm a nerd. I like My Little Pony, too. And then, you know, he he gets the fan shut off. And here's Erica not being like, oh, my God, thank you. Now I know how we're going to get out of this. She's just, you know, being difficult. Um, I believe all these weird things that make no sense that you're telling me, but I'm just not going to believe that my brother was even there, that he had any part of this whatsoever. Just not making any sense. So I, I really don't like the writing for her character. Um, I mean, I like the idea of showing a, a, a strong, positive female type, but I just don't believe it from this seven or eight year old kid that she's going to be, you know, just fine with absolutely everything that's going on. Um, at this point, uh, it just seems not realistic. But uh, but I, I do love the the uh, strength of Steve at this point. But here we go, you know, with the Russians not being intelligent in this. So the whoever is in charge, the one that's, uh, you know, interrogating Steve, does he really think that some military outfit or some, you know, vigilante group or whatever is, is trying to infiltrate their system by sending these little kids to figure out what's going on. And that is just the dumbest thing, but he's so insistent that Steve is lying, that he's hiding something. Uh, it just, you know, I, I could see them holding on to them, I don't see that amount of torture to to a kid, even even as as hideous as the Russians were thought of back then. I I just don't believe that he really thinks that those kids are there to infiltrate. Um, yeah, it's crazy that they got inside, but at the same point, I mean, they actually did give a plausible explanation, far fetched as it might be. But I I just don't think that uh, it's reasonable for the Russian guy to think that. Uh, that they that they're actually working for somebody, and that somebody would have sent these little kids in to figure out what's going on in in this highly sensitive and dangerous area. They couldn't have experience to really know what to do. They would be flying by the seat of their pants. It just I don't know. I'm just not buying that part of it. But I did love the interrogation. I love those little uh, moments between Steve and Robin, where she's like, "Hey, I always kind of liked you, Mister Great Hair," and that. But uh, 
I, I don't know. I, I just kind of feel like this whole thing is, is a little bit over the top. Um, I could see them, you know, killing them or trying to get information going, you know what, these two don't know anything. They're just a bunch of kids that, that are stupid and got, got caught down here messing around and that being it. So, uh, I, I like though that Dustin finds a way to get back to them and save them. I, I like that, uh, Erica found the wand, but of course, you know, she didn't say, Hey, I'll be right back or Hey, let's go look down here. She just disappears. So you have that moment of tension, even though, you know, she's probably fine. Uh, Dustin panics a little bit. Uh, and, uh, and then she comes back like way over the top and almost hits him and with the little, uh, shocker metal pole thing. But, uh, but some good tension definitely in that scene. And, um, I, I'm interested to see what happens to them, how they get out. Um, obviously, they're still flying by the seat of their pants, so everything is kind of luck at this point. Uh, you just see an opportunity and you go for it, which is is kind of understandable, I think, under the panic that they would be under. So I, I really like the development of this. I, I think it's a pretty good scene. I just think that some things could have been written a little bit better. Um, then we have a little uh, a little bit of the mayor coming back with his face all busted up from Hopper's attack on him in uh, episode five. And uh, I, I kind of wonder, you know, I often wonder the reality of the life that uh, goes beyond the scenes that we see, like uh, in a horror movie, you know, when, when uh, all these, all these kids are there and then they all die except for the one or two, how did these friends move on? How do they just go to school the next day? Or how do they go to their jobs the next day after all their friends were just slaughtered by a, uh, a, a almost paranormal serial killer? Like what happens to them after that? And here, I kind of wonder what happens in the time between the mayor, uh, his wife coming home and, and him obviously getting out of the handcuffs to, oh, I'm just going to be at this park and my face is all busted up, but that's fine. How does that play out? How does, uh, how does the secretary not uh, you know, dig into this? How does he just go outside and uh, carry on as if nothing has happened? Um, obviously we know now, as I had suspected, how does Hopper keep, keep his job? Well, the mayor's got people out looking for him. So whether Hopper still has a job or not, um, I don't know, but obviously if the mayor has alerts out for the police chief, that's definitely not good. It's going to raise a lot of red flags. I don't know in, in the universe of all of this, how he's explaining this to people, but, uh, it's, it's definitely interesting. And, uh, I, I'm curious to see again, how, uh, how this storyline will play out. He obviously learned that he really has no power over the Russians, that they can just wipe him out at any time they want. And uh, I, I kind of don't really know why the Russian is giving him that much leeway to find Hopper, uh, except that it's really the only lead that he has now. Since his clunky stomping boots aren't getting him anywhere, uh, he's he's got to start somewhere and he's got no leads, nothing. So I think he kind of has to depend on the mayor to uh, flush Hopper out. But he's got nothing at this point other than just a really angry look on his face. And and then that was over, you know, uh, that, that there's no more mayor, no more big Russian guy in uh, in this particular episode. But we do go back to the uh, Russian scientist and Hopper, Joyce and Murray. Uh, you know, I can accept Murray being over the top. I more so than I can like uh, Erica or or the, the Russian um, guard at the, at the base that's interrogating Steve, because, you know, that Murray has seen some shit. It's not just that he's paranoid, like he's seen stuff, things have happened to him. He has a reason to be this eccentric. So I can go along with that. I can follow that part of the storyline. I can go as wild uh, with, with Murray as wild as he gets. Um, I don't think he's done anything that I thought was too over the line since I understood the depth of his paranoia and his understanding and, and the things that he knows that 
of course, people just think he's a wacko um, because he has knowledge that people just aren't ready to face in 1984 or 2019. Um, but I really like Murray. I think he's a good character. And it's funny because as an actor, I could swear I've seen him in something before, but I looked at his IMDb and I don't think I've seen anything that he's been in. So it's really weird that he's so recognizable to me. And I'm trying to think if there's another actor that was similar to him, but his voice is so distinct that uh, I'm just not placing it. So that's a, a little bit of a mystery for me. But uh, I, I think, you know, I understand Hopper's frustration. What I don't get is the Russian scientist guy. I mean, if he's really afraid of going back to his group without a scratch and how, how they would look at him, uh, them thinking that he's leaked secrets, they'll probably kill him or interrogate him very heavily. And he surely knows their tactics. He saw what happened to his predecessor. So if that's the case, why is he being so difficult? You know, I, I could see him pleading more than bargaining or demanding. I think that's a little out of character for someone who would be in this position. Yes, he has some power because he has the information that they need, but he can see that Hopper is just about to snap. And sooner or later, Hopper's probably going to do the same thing to him that his boss would do and just beat the ever-living shit out of him and get answers that way. Uh, Hopper does not seem to be a patient man. And even though you don't understand the language, you get the body language, you get the bulging eyes, you get the intensity in his voice, you feel him tensing up and getting ready to just pounce. So I don't really get why he's being this uh, comedic and difficult unless it really is comic relief for the show. Um, if it is, it's it's really not selling me because uh, it just doesn't make sense. But I do love Joyce in all of this. You know, when, when Hopper makes the phone call to the public library and then Joyce is like, I'm not sitting around here waiting. Our kids are in danger. And she just gets on the phone and demands. And, you know, she could have blown this whole thing. She could still blow this whole thing as far as the help that they're they're demanding they get. I don't know. And she doesn't either. But I just love that forceful, I'm not going to put up with this because this is my kid and I've been through this enough, having my children in danger mentality. So kudos to Joyce. And it was a little bit comedic uh, as well, which I appreciated. But uh, man, that, that girl's got some spunk. And I really like that. I really like that she's willing to fight, just like pretty much everybody on this team, uh, except for Lucas, who once again, uh, another episode, and he didn't really do anything that, uh, that that had any substance whatsoever. He was just kind of there along for the ride. So uh, again, I'm hoping in these uh, last couple of episodes, you know, we've got two more to go. I hope that uh, they wrote him something cool to do because so far he's been fairly uh, just existing in, in the universe of all of this. But, uh, but I, I like this. The thing I didn't like too is, is so they give the, the Russian guy the keys to the handcuffs, the keys to the car. He starts to take off, but almost as if he's hearing Hopper's speech, which he couldn't have possibly heard. He's following Hopper's lead to, to the T. I mean, he's like, yeah, you know what? I really can't go through this, uh, through this world. Going back to those guys, I really need to stay here where I'm safe. And even though I have power, that's only going to last so long. So I better start telling them some things. Um, it just it just played too parallel to Hopper's speech for me. But uh, but I do like the fact that obviously he did realize that there was nowhere for him to go. And uh, he, he really wasn't being treated badly, you know, for, for what uh, could be in this situation. I thought they've been e extremely nice to him. Uh, except for obviously kidnapping him in the first place, but that's beside the point. Um, so the meat of this episode really, really is going back to the main group, uh, you know, Mike and Will and and uh, Lucas, Nancy, uh, the girls, and, uh, and and Jonathan. 
they're really at, right now at the core of the uh, uh, defending and attacking and starting to try and uh, put an end to this thing. And uh, I got to say, once again, just another incredibly badass scene for Elle, the way she threw that monster around Yoda style. Uh, loved it. Absolutely loved it. And uh, I, I love the look that she gets on her face. I love the intensity that she acts with as she, uh, you know, throws this thing around. And I kind of have to wonder what it's like on set when there's just nothing there. And uh, I, I don't know if they have like, uh, you know, a drone or something that they fly around to, so that everybody is kind of looking in the same spot. But just to have that intensity and have there really be nothing in the room, but it's so believable. It's like you really think there's something there. Uh, in in the actual filming in the real world of all of this, I, I just you know total kudos kudos to Millie, who is a is a fantastic actress, and I really think that she plays these scenes so well. Even um, at at the you know before they even go up upstairs when they're down there and Will's you know he touches the back of his neck and he's like he's here. The look of screw this that she gets on her face, that intensity, I absolutely love it, and you know she's just getting ready to to destroy something. Um, so great writing, great directing, great acting from, from her for sure. Uh, but, but let's talk about the things that really kind of don't make any sense in this scene. So has nobody really understood that Will is still connected to all of this? He knows when the thing is here, there's still some part of him that, that is attached to all of this, whether, um, it's going to physically manifest in this episode to, to have him be part of the creature or not. Um, he feels something on the back of his neck. There's an f- actual physical change that he experiences. And it just kind of seems like, well, yeah, but mom got it out of me except for this little bit. But nobody seems to really be concerned about what's happening with him, which is a little bit of a red flag for me, especially after everything that he's been through and everything they went through to get the thing out of him in season two. Uh, so that's a little weird. And so lights are flickering. They've got to get upstairs to make sure that Nancy and Jonathan are okay. And uh, what do they do? They go for the elevator. And it just seems like instinctually, at least one of them would have said, hey, the power's going in and out. Maybe we shouldn't get on the elevator. We need to take the stairs. It just seems like fight or flight or whatever it is would kick in and somebody would say, don't get on the elevator. But yet they all go for it. But because the elevator is taking too long, they go for the stairs. Now, in the midst of this, of course, there's the nurse. And this is another thing that, that you know, I, I sure she would have caught up with the kids and, and said, hey, you can't go up there or whatever. But it seems like she had just no notice or concern that the lights were flashing. And it makes me again wonder what can people see and what do they not see? Because I don't think that that's been clearly defined. It's been alluded to. You've had a little evidence of of people being unaware of things that are happening, but it just seems like... uh they're really oblivious to this. So I'm guessing that she didn't see lights flickering, that that's not something that's visible to her. Only the kids, only the ones that are attached to the story, to the unfolding events are able to see that. Uh, but still, like I said, the lights are flashing. One of them should have said something about not going on the elevator. So that was, um, you know, to me again, that was a little bit off. But uh, but I have to I have to wonder as as we're getting to see more and more of this world is that really the case? What are people seeing and what are they not seeing? What's oh, who's privy to what in this universe? Because without knowing that, it it is a little hard to follow people's actions and understand why they're doing or not doing things that you would expect them to be doing. So uh, 
when when the uh, monster turns into uh, this sort of you know sludge to get under the door to get to Nancy, and then we see the long shot of Jonathan coming around the corner in the corridor. Why does he throw his weapon down? I, I don't understand that. He didn't try to attack the ooze or or whatever at all. He just drops the only thing that he has in his hands that could be potentially helpful to uh, to Nancy, who's now trapped in this room, although he doesn't know whether whether there's an exit in there or not. But it just seems like he would have tried to attack the thing uh, with, with the with the pole that he had, just it, just in case it would help, um, since he you know isn't uh, isn't really doing anything else except screaming Nancy's name so that she knows he's there. So um, the the creature can obviously you know change shape; it can it can form and reform, and this might explain some of what I asked in the last episode of why is this creature like five stories tall, and then all of a sudden he fits in this little room. I don't really get that. And I still don't because if, if he's that big, why are, why do they need to build him up to be big again? What happened to him that he lost five and a half stories of size? Uh, not really sure. I understand what's behind that. And, and if I miss something, please let me know. Um, it's very possible, but this creature turns back into a creature and then he slowly stalks Nancy, which really makes no sense. And, and, you know, he doesn't really need to toy with her. I don't know that the monster's really getting any glee out of this, but of course it's just got to scream right in her face, which had to be the most horrible part of this whole ordeal for her. But uh, basically it's just buying time for it to be reasonable for Eleven and gang to find Charlie so that they know where Nancy is at. So, you know, it's kind of a trope, but uh, that's, that's the way that they played that out. You really don't have a sense of how far away they are, how long it's going to take them to get from point A to point B. You just see, you know, the creatures delaying things and then all of a sudden they're in the room. So uh, the next thing is, uh, you know, Max, she's like, motherfucker. And and then they always cut off like the more major swear words. And it's just, you know, come on, if you're going to put it in there, say it. If you're not going to say it, don't put it in there. You can just be like, oh, my God, or holy Jesus or or whatever. Um I don't really care about words. I don't think that a, a you know a swear word is any different than any other word, but because we've deemed them that way in society, uh, maybe they're only allowed so many without uh, having to to do like a parental consent on the show for Netflix. I don't know, but you know she was close enough to saying it where it's like you might as well just say it or choose a different word because it's almost it just cheapens it to me, you know, to to put it in there and then cut it off like that. Just really silly. But uh, so Eleven gets to be an absolute badass and throws this creature around the room, then throws him out the th- through the, the window and the kids start running. Jonathan runs into the room to make sure Nancy's OK and she's on the floor still. But yet when they get to the bottom, they all exit together. So somehow it, it, with the kids running as quickly as they could to get out front, Nancy got off the floor while being checked on by Jonathan and they all caught up to the kids and they all exited the front door at the same time. Then the ooze stuff is running towards the, the drain as fast as it can. And, and you know, Elle's natural reaction is to protect the group behind her. So she puts her arms out, but she did nothing to stop it going into the sewer. It wasn't like they put a tracking device on it to figure out where it was going or the source of it or anything. She just literally watched it go into the sewer. And I really don't understand that because she has the power to destroy this thing, especially in a weakened state. So I don't really get, uh, again, what's what's happening there or why she's not taking the action that she certainly could have if she wanted to. Uh, 
So we get some good, though. Um, we get some insight into Billy and why he is the way he is. Not to justify it, at least in my mind, but just to understand it and, uh, and and get an idea of why he's such a hateful person, why he treats his sister horribly, why he just hates everything he sees that isn't a sexual conquest. And uh, But I have to wonder, who is actually showing this to Eleven? Is it the real Billy or is it the Billy being taken over by a monster to distract her so that they can have their connection so that they can separate her from the group, so that they can weaken her. I don't know who who is doing it. So it's interesting. Surely if the creature is inside Billy, it would carry his memories, as, uh, as, as Will alluded to, I think, at one point. So I don't really know the premise behind that. But what I do know is those were some absolutely stunning, beautiful graphics that they had going on during the scenes at the beach. Absolutely loved them. Uh, the colors, the, uh, the the depth, the intensity really made you feel like uh, you were on a completely different world. And uh, and I really like that. But it's kind of interesting to see, you know, this whole thing with Billy. And But you kind of figured that, right? Like, he has very aggressive parents, especially his father's aggressive. His stepmom just kind of goes along with it. He's stuck with his sister that he's responsible for. But he's like, I don't even like you. You're not my sister. But uh, But because I have to watch after you, I'm just doing it so I don't get in trouble. So he's in a tough position. And I understand that, but it's just, I don't know, you kind of assume that. I don't really think we need needed to be shown unless, like I said, it was some thing to weaken L, maybe to identify with him so she, that she would have a harder time destroying that part of the creature. Because I think he's like a heart of the creature, or at least uh, Heather is. So I think that they're a little more important than the rest of the people. Um, you know, the ones that sing without moving their mouths. So... uh Really, it gets down to that. And I think that uh, I, I really liked the, you know, in, in the beginning when when Billy was uh, in the upside down and they basically told him, like, you have to build it. And he has no idea what they're talking about. And they really don't ever tell us until now where what he's building is the creature that we've been seeing for the last two seasons in the pink lightning flashes. The, the sort of, uh, you know, multi-legged monster that uh, is is five times bigger than the city when it wants to be. And uh, that's actually what he was building was the creature and not uh, a place, not a destination, not a portal, nothing like that. He's actually building the creature because it just assimilates whatever flesh and materials and uh, grows on that. Again, a throwback to phantoms where that's what the creature was doing as well. That being said, um, I loved, loved, loved the scene where everybody just kind of gets uh, greenlit. And they go to this warehouse, and they, as they walk up closer to the creature, they just turn into the sludge. I thought that was beautifully done. Uh, big, big props to the graphic artists on those, and the sound designers as well, because uh, I think that played brilliantly. I, I like that you kind of see through the skin and into the skeleton as the skin's starting to come off. It's very quick, but you can see it if you look. And uh, and then it just adds to the creature. But then the the thing is is that why is the creature doing this in a warehouse instead of just outside where it doesn't have to break through the roof of a warehouse you know again it's just like we're doing this so that we can have a dramatic effect shot even though we really don't need it and uh i mean it looked visual visually stunning it was beautiful that part i loved but it was just you know kind of an unnecessary thing but i love the music here i love this sort of philip glass uh repeating sequence that uh, is really nice very nice choral section on this part as well, um, especially uh, and, and also the the you know the sounds and everything at the beach were fantastic. But uh, this this whole end scene is just fantastic. And then 
you know, Billy making Elle feel like she's the reason all this is happening. And, uh, you know, if, if you look at the core of Elle, it's all about her friends. It's all about protecting them. And to put the idea in her head that is likely to drive her crazy, that she's actually the reason all of this stuff is happening, I think is pretty cool. Uh, I, I think that uh, that could play a very serious role on her actions, um, especially after this thing gets uh, dispelled or whatever's going to happen, because I'm sure at the end of the season, she's going to defeat it or defeat part of it is is my prediction. And part of it will still remain, but they'll think that that it's dead or they'll know that part of it's still out there. But I don't think this is going to be the end of it. But after she does the majority of the work, I think that that uh, guilt will start playing in and start becoming a factor in her actions. And then she will start distancing herself from the group because she feels so responsible for everything. So that's that's my prediction. But uh, yeah, great episode. Uh, really action-packed. There's some things that I didn't like about it. But for the most part, great writing, great directing, great action, visuals, music, everything is just fantastic in this episode. Uh, just some little character flaws, for, in, in my opinion, that I think uh, could have been better or could still be better, depending on what happens. And uh, we'll see what happens in the next episode. But thank you guys so much for joining me on this episode. Uh, it's been really fun to review episode six. I can't wait to see what happens in episode seven and eight. So I will be, uh, as soon as I render all this out and get it uploaded, then I'll start on episode seven and uh, should have everything done by tomorrow, I would imagine. So enjoy, watch uh, the next uh, episode in the series and then come back for the podcast and we'll see you in the next one. Bye guys. Bye guys.